Hello, and welcome to episode 62 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, April 2nd, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Good today. I'm so happy the fog rolled in. (laughs) I know. It was so hot. It was like 80. Did we get to 80? We did get to 80. We got, it was 85 in my car. That is craziness for for here. Maybe it was exaggerating. (laughs) I don't think it was exaggerating much. Everybody else loves that kind of weather. And I am a delicate delicate head of lettuce and I just wilt. You're a delicate San Francisco flower. That's right. Yes. My children were very excited to see the fog as well. I would have liked it to stay around for the weekend because we're going on a little trip. Very little staying within two hours of our, of our home, but we have. Yeah. It's important to to (laughs) see something beyond your four walls. You guys have been incredibly observant of the precautions. Yeah. So pretty excited to go see a different house (laughs) that is not our own. And then my husband is going to get his first vaccine shot. Congratulations. Finally available. I got to tell you though, getting that appointment, it was like scoring yarn at a blue brick update (laughs) (laughs) or some other fancy yarn. I was just like working the magic on the keyboard. I was like, I think I got it. I think I got it. Waiting, making sure I didn't get cart jacked for his appointment. Super exciting. My yarny people will know that feeling. It is a great feeling. And then we, we can, the rest of us can go in like two weeks. Yeah. As long as there's product. Yes. I think that's the real, the real clutch piece of this is. (laughs) That does seem to be the issue. Actual vaccine. Yes. So, so fingers crossed. Yes. (laughs) It will show up and there will be vaccine there. That would be good. So things are moving along. We should move along with the podcast, I think. We will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand, all the usual good stuff. So on the needles, I am, I will just make a note, currently logged out of Ravelry. There is a little, not a full-on boycott, a, a protest because they have gotten rid of old Ravelry and it is now just new Ravelry and... Apparently not all of the health issues have been dealt with for various people. So a lot of us have logged out for, this is the third day, third and final day. I don't know that it will actually make a difference, but at least attempting to make our voices heard that would be nice if they would fix these issues. kind of a repeat issue, no? It's the same issue. Yeah. They just never fixed it. And they keep saying, no, we fixed it. It's done. If you're having issues, it's not, not our problem, which I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, I, I will probably not be fully giving up rivalry. I've too much invested in there, but I got to say, I am disappointed. That said, all of my projects are on Ravelry. And so the links on our show notes do go to Ravelry unless noted otherwise. But I do have most of my project pictures on Instagram as well. So craft, cook, read, repeat on Instagram, and you can see photos. And if I've talked about something and there's not a picture, you know, 
send us a message and I'll, I'll post something. I'm happy to do that because I do want to make sure people can continue to, to see the wonderful world of knitting as much as possible. So to the actual knitting and our sock madness update, I feel like we need a theme song for sock madness, but I'm not sure what that would be. Some like rally something <laughs> rally yeah. music, yeah. something crazy and rallyish. Yeah. So it'd be good. I think the last time we still had a few days left of the qualifying round. So that finished up on a Saturday or like a Friday night, Saturday morning. And then it was all quiet and everyone's wondering because they had to assign us into teams. So the teams came out on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. Do you remember? Because I asked you to, Courtney very kindly did a team, a, rav- a new Ravatar for me. It was, was it- super super fun. I don't remember which day it was, but I got this request like, Hey, can you uh, <laughs> paint me a bear with, with a constellation? And I don't, I don't know what it was, but I had like an instant picture in my head, what it needed to be. And I was super inspired by your little oh, description. Good. Yeah. I love it. Oh, I sh- can I put it on Instagram so people can yes, see please. it because it's adorable. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so there, there are 26 teams of 60 people each, and that doesn't even count the people that only finished one sock. And so are what we call cheerleaders where they get all of the patterns and they can participate, but they aren't officially in the competition. That is so many people. I can't even do the math in my head right now, but that's a lot of people. It's like 1300. Yeah. Like the first year I did it, which was 10 years ago, there were four teams of about 45 people. So, and it's still the same volunteer people that, I mean, they've added some more moderators to the group, but I mean, that is a lot of admin. It's, it's amazing. Their work. Yeah. So every year there's a theme for the team names and this year it is stars. So I am on team dove D U B H E. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I of course forgot to look it up. It is one of the brighter stars in Ursa Major. So that's where the bear comes in. So it's a very, very good one for, for drawing, I think. Yeah. So a lot of people for the duration of the event will change their avatar to have it reflect the team they're on. So that was why I asked Courtney to make one for me because I mean, you, I could have, a lot of people just went and found a, a picture of the Big Dipper, something like that, and then Photoshopped it. But I went with the you ha- more you personal an, artistic yeah, touch. You have an artist in <laughs> residence, so... Why not? That's right. I love a project like that. Yeah. So that was fun. That looks really cute. And he's knitted, the bear is knitting with craft cook, read, repeat blue yarn. Looks adorable. Star And the stars turned out so well. And like, it's got this cool dark background and it's awesome. So I will put that up there. So anyway, so the teams we got, we got on our teams. And then fairly soon after that, we got the specs for the next sock. That was probably Tuesday because Wednesday morning, as I was editing, the pattern arrived, <laughs> like as I was just starting to edit the episode. So I was like, no, okay, it's round one, we'll probably be okay. So there's 50 spots for each team in this round. And you're starting out with 60 people, 59, 60. So you have to knit, you have to finish the sock, but there's a lot of spots available. It is of course a beautiful sock. It is called Evil Choices by Sabrina Nestlinger evil instead of evil which is kind of a sock badness cutesy thing and the the evil evil or evil choices is because there is a cabled tree design on each sock which is beautiful of course and the background is all pearls 
most knitters, Courtney is an exception, do not like purling, especially lots of purling. I'm happy to be the exception here, but I, I don't know that you can call me a knitter. <laughs> it's so rare that I... Yeah, but you knit. But as I when you knit. do knit... I like to purl. You are not against purling. Yeah. No. There, are, there are a few people out there. The alternative, and she, the pattern comes with two versions. So you can knit it the traditional, lots of purling, or you could turn it and knit it inside out. So lots of knitting, but you can't see your cables because they're on the other side. So, ugh. and if you mess up a cable, then you have to go back and fix it. And if it's, you mess up far back, then that's lots of ripping and hair pulling and all that good stuff. So I decided I would knit the first one standard with lots of purling, which went fine. Towards the, the foot, there's really a lot of purling. There's just one, the tree trunk is nine stitches of ribbing. So in my whole sock, it was almost entirely pearls. That was, that was a lot. And when I got to that, I was like, yeah, I am 100% trying the inside out version for the second sock. Because I figured now I understand the tree chart. I understand what it's supposed to be doing. And so I would every few rows kind of peek inside, make sure my cables were going the correct direction. It all made more sense. So they turned out really beautiful. They're mirrored. So the tree is on the outside of your leg for each sock. The branches come in, they form a heart. The tree trunk twists. So they had to twist in opposite directions for each sock. So they were checking all these things and they would call people on it. It was amazing. I am slightly concerned. So I'm on team D. Team J seems to be the super fastest team. Someone from there finished in about 14 hours, I think. Um, she did, does she have children? Um, I don't know. There's definitely a few of those Norwegians and Swedish people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're like retired. Kids are out of the house. They can just sit down and knit for 14 hours straight if they want. And they do. And then team K is the slowest team. So people that are newer knitters or, you know, have five children, one of them, the newborn, that kind of teams. So they are a little slower, but that means I'm on like the eighth fastest team out of 26, which just doesn't seem right, but sounds right to me. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, So I finished. What? I'm so excited for you. I know. So it's fun. It's So it will definitely make me a little more competitive. Our first finisher came in, pattern dropped Wednesday morning my time. I think they were done sometime Friday. So uh, yeah, so I'm kind of like, I don't think I could, even if I had sat down and concentrated and finished it that quickly. I did finish 32nd. I turned it in Monday night. My main problem seemed to be, I mean, I did have things going on. So I couldn't just sit down in it for 14 hours, like editing the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and, you know, driving my children places and all that fun stuff. My focus is just not what it used to be. I would be like, okay, I'm knitting, I'm knitting. Oh, I want to go read the team threads on Ravelry and see what people are talking about. And there is one person on my team who in the past has made it to the finals. So she was the winner for her team. So there are definitely some speedy people on my team. So it will, I will have to up my game a little, but I am excited. I guess I am feeling pretty competitive this year. So we will see how it goes. That's fabulous. Oh, and my yarn, I didn't say. Sanguine Griffin Skinny Bugga in Blue Emperor Dragonfly, a skein from 2010. Bravo. This was one of the ones when I decided I was doing 
sock madness. I went and like started pulling solid skeins. And yeah, this one's been in there for a while. It's beautiful. Sanguine Griffin hasn't been dying for a while, but they they passed on, like they split up and then they passed on their colors to a whole different team of dyers. So you can still get, I don't know if you can get skinny bug. A bug just came back. But yeah, but this was one of those yarns where like they would announce an update and you'd have to be on your computer right then, ready to go and like not really think about what color you wanted too much. It's like blue, yes, got it. And this one is actually more of a green with like blue undertones. And that was why I chose it because of the, the tree shape. So kind of foresty. And I didn't think it would be too dark since I do a lot of my knitting at night. You want to be able to see the cables. I'm super excited. It turned out well. I got approved right away. And then I was done with that. So now we've got another. So the, the, the referees checked it over and gave you a gold star. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. Pretty quickly. Uh, no, actually, I turned it in, went to bed, and we woke up the next morning. The approval was there. So that was that was good. And, that, and there were still a decent amount of spots. I guess the rounds go on and there's only, say, 10 spots. It's a little more nerve wracking. This one I felt pretty confident about, as long as I hadn't screwed up. I mean, even if I had screwed up, there was still enough spots that I could probably redo it in time. So that's where we are with that. And then, because I was done with that, and this round will go on till next Wednesday. So when this episode comes out. And I imagine it'll go the full two weeks, or at least most of that. Because it goes, the round goes two weeks until all the spots are filled. So in the later rounds, when there's only seven spots, it definitely won't take two weeks. It might take two days. But this one, the first couple of rounds can take the full two weeks as the slower teams need to finish. So I am just kind of waiting for that to happen and working on some other projects like my Shan sweater by Elizabeth Doherty, which I finished up. Hooray, hooray. And I finished it on the last day of March. So I get to count that yarn into my <laughs> March totals for my, my balancing my stash, which is good because I, I did have some yarn arrive that well, I was expecting because I, I had bought it, so I knew it was coming, but I did feel better. So that is the Mosaic Colorwork pullover. And the yarn for that is Three Irish Girls Springvale DK in a, maybe like a powder blue and a light pink. Um, so the blue is the main color. According to the directions, I should have had enough yarn. It was not quite how it worked out. But I do know that I knit much more loosely than the designer. So I think that's part of the issue. So I ended up making it, it's not quite cropped. It's a little short, but not too short. So I might, it is what it is. And I just blocked it. So it might be a little bit longer now. I think as long as I wear it with high-waisted jeans, it'll look like deliberate and not like I ran out of yarn. I did have to undo my swatch, but that does happen sometimes. But it looks really pretty. It's exactly like this, the kind of springy sweater that I was hoping for, because I mean, today it was 50 something, low 50s when we got up with the fog coming back. So, you know, I would throw a sweater on for that because I am also a delicate San Francisco flower and do not deal well with temperature swings. So I'm excited about that. But now I'm kind of in this very odd, not nothing on the needles. I still have my Bautista, which I also did work on a little bit. That's the the Green Shawl by Celia McAdam Cahill. But that one does require concentration because it has the lace panel. But I'd also finished like two books. So I had no books that I was in the middle of and no knitting. My mind could not handle that last night. I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Starting 
either thing seemed really complicated. So I'm you're in a, quite... a knitting holding pattern until the pattern drops the next one for the socks. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've got at least until Wednesday and then probably a few days after that, because. So will you, will you edit the podcast a little earlier, maybe? No, because if it finishes Wednesday, then they still have to drop the specs and then we have up to 48 hours. Okay. So Wednesday, nothing should happen. I mean, unless this, unless the, all the teams finish beforehand, but I think we'll be fine. So, but I need something before then. So oh, for sure. I thought I had a pattern, another cardigan all picked out. And then I kind of changed my mind and now I'm leaning towards a different one. I bought a kit from Black Squirrel in Berkeley. I think in the fall, it was a new pattern release that was in a knitting magazine booklet and the theme was Northern California. And it's not just knitting patterns. They had some crafting things as well and, and sewing, I believe. So it, it's called Golden Poppy. It's a open front cardigan um, and it has like a poppy design around the kind of the waist area. So I got it in the main yarn is mostly white with some blue speckles and then the contrast color is the reverse. So that felt more springy than what I had been thinking. Again, I'm on the spring thing. If I work on it through all of April, it might be ready for Mother's Day, which would be kind of fun to have a new thing to wear because if I'm actually somewhat vaccinated by then, we could hang out with my parents and my mother. <laughs> like that would be exciting and mind-blowing. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking I want to do that one and I could take it this weekend and get started. I do need to wind the yarn. And it's in fingering weight. So, and I haven't done a fingering weight sweater in a while. That takes a little longer. And I do also want to work on the Batista, but again, that, that takes brain cells. And I did not have those last night. Hopefully they'll come back at some point. I'm sure they will. <laughs> Thanks for your, your support. <laughs> I think that's it. I've been very focused on things. So there aren't quite as many. Yarn items. balls in the air. Yeah. yeah. So, but on the plus side, next time you'll have lots of interesting and new things to hear about. So you're welcome. Super. Okay. All right. On the easel. A little stopover on the sewing machine first. I made a whole bunch of these Japanese knot bags, the kind of bag where you like one handle is shorter than the other. And so you can slip the longer handle through the short handle and it kind of oh, cinches yeah. itself. Cool. They're super cute lined. Yeah. And I want to give credit to that pattern maker. So I'm going to put that in the show notes because they came out really cute. Great gift. They put, they put together pretty quickly. There's a medium and a large in her set. And then on easel, I finished in record time this month's wash grid because we didn't really... We didn't really decide on chairs until about halfway through the month. And then we were both saying, what were we thinking? I saw that yesterday that, that uh, you guys had both posted. That was very exciting. Yes. I was not expecting that. They were awesome. They were kind of fiddly because they are tiny and really detailed. And it was hard to shove the little chairs into these. I mean, they're uh, inch and three quarter squares on the watercolor grid paper. This is the project, the ongoing project that I do with Hey Hooray Design. And it's all traditional gouache and you can see them side by side 
if you look at the hashtag gouache grid. Really fun. So the chair grid is done. Thank goodness. We don't know what we're doing for April yet. We usually take a day or two to recover, basically. And then I think this month will be something a little bit easier and maybe organic because the chairs were a bear. Yesterday, we also did a live IGTV. Derry and I hopped on and did, did that. And the theme was neon paint, which is kind of hysterical because I really only had like three tiny things of neon. And so I ordered some, but then it didn't come. And I was like tempted to chase the UPS guy around the neighborhood. And I kid you not, I missed it one day because I had taken the kids to the pediatrician and then they were going to deliver it to our local CVS. It was just this all in the name of gouache, basically. And so I got my colors about 15 minutes before we went live. And I just didn't know what to do with them because they're so bright and loud compared to what I normally use. And I felt very out of my element. And I was telling Angie on Instagram, she's the fairy on Instagram. I was telling her afterward that my impulse was to add white to these neon colors. And she said, oh, so you, uh, you made pastels, <laughs> which I just thought was so hysterical. And yeah, I did. I and like true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was delightful. And it's a great way for us to build community with other gouache or other painters and really appreciate people who jumped on and, and witnessed a part of that madness, neon madness. So last week I was talking about my frustration with substrates, substrates being, do I switch to canvas? Do I work on panels? Like, what am I doing? So I really sat down and and was paying attention to materials this week and what am I trying to achieve? The, the foundational marks are lilies. I have kind of two series happening, lilies and seaweed. They might disappear completely behind the abstract work or they might help inform what's happening. I've decided to stick with paper for now because it's definitely my comfort zone. I'm just pushing myself with watercolor, layers of watercolor and, and gouache. And I'm hoping to start to show some of that soon. And I have finally published my website, which nice. isn't, it does not deserve a standing ovation by any stretch because all I did was put a newsletter box in the, the homepage and I'm going to collect email addresses because I think I would love to share more about this process with people who want to hear more about it, you know, instead of trying to make it fit into a grid for Instagram, I think I would like to publish a newsletter on occasion and and be really meaningful and share more about the process. So if you're interested, you can go to CourtneySpillane.com now, which is live and sign up for the newsletter. And I promise 
to take good care of your email address and send you only the most interesting, crazy things I can think of. That is what's going on here in the studio. Very exciting. Thank you. So on the table, I am going to talk about East by Mira Soda, S-O-D-H-A. This is the beautiful one that I posted, I don't know, a month and a half ago, maybe on Instagram that I went through and marked, I don't know, half the recipes as ones I wanted to make immediately. So the subtitle is 120 Vegan and Vegetarian Recipes from Bangalore to Beijing. So it is chock full of recipes that all sound amazing. So she is, I think she grew up in London, is of Indian ancestry. So she grew up with her mom, mostly cooking Indian food, but using ingredients that were available in England. She was not vegan, but got offered a job writing a weekend vegan column for a London newspaper for their weekend magazine. So she wasn't vegan and she had a newborn, but she decided to take the job. She had written a vegetarian Indian cookbook. And so this was kind of an expansion of that. But because she was a new mom, her recipes tended to be a little bit more quick and easy. So it's not going to take you a weekend to make this. That said, it definitely does a lot with building flavors and there's a lot of steps. So nothing very complicated, but you know, there's a part where you fry the spices first and then you add the onions and then you do this. So you do kind of have to pay attention because she's been in lockdown as well and has a little kid. She hasn't done as much traveling. So a lot of her research has also been going to restaurants in London, which is where she lives now. Restaurants run by immigrants for the immigrant community. So kind of the same thing that she grew up with, authentic recipes, but through the lens of what they can get in England. So most of the ingredients are also available here. Or, you know, I did have some fun making some purchases on Amazon for things that were not at my local supermarket, but not too many. Uh, you know, like there's what? like what? Couldn't you uh, here? What did I buy? Tamarind paste, and date mm. syrup. I mean, you know, I could have gone to an Indian market or a, you know, a more something other than my local Safeway would probably yeah. have them depending on where I went in the city. I just was, ugh, I didn't feel like doing it at the, at, when I was ready to start cooking. So I went with that. But I mean, they're super vegetable heavy and a lot of spices and, you know, things that are really readily accessible. Some of them are you know, she created them because she was cleaning out her fridge. So it's really, you can switch it up and do it with whatever you want. And if you don't have a certain spice, then, you know, it's going to be fine anyway. So lovely pictures and they're different flavors from what I am used to cooking. I'm sure a lot of people, this is probably their traditional home-cooked meal, but for me, it's pretty exciting and, and different and, and not even entirely different. It's not like I haven't made a curry before, but there are there is a whole world of curries that I did not grow up with. So that's really fun to try things that are familiar, but a little different. Definitely my theme. The, um, you know, cost plus world market or world oh, market, yeah. they have lots of ingredients yeah, like that. Yeah, that would be good. But that makes me think, cause I bought this cookbook too. Yep. We just, you got yours long before I did. And so you were ready to rock and roll on it. So I'll probably be talking about it in the future, but that makes me think I should maybe thumb through it and look around for ingredients so that I have them on hand when I'm ready to test them out. They repeat a lot. It's not one recipe needs the tamarind paste. There are several. So like the Tuesday night cookbook, we ended up using a lot of the zitar and the, what exactly. was the other 
Oh, the sumac. I still yeah, love that sumac. sumac is that so was good. awesome. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I was so it's, it's things like that, but it's a little difficult to figure out how much of a main dish each one is supposed to be. She, I mean, they are vegan or vegetarian ones. And so they are the main part of your meal, but some of them I've made and I feel like they need to be part of a spread. It's not just a one dish meal. So trying to figure out what I need to serve with it is still something I am working on. And she does have some menus in the front. So, but on a weeknight, I'm probably not going to make four or five of these dishes, but they, they do make large servings. I think there is enough. It's just might need some more protein in, in some of them. So, so that is something I'm working on. I will say though, that every recipe that I have made, my husband has loved. And he generally walks into the kitchen as like, wow, it smells really good in here. So he has definitely appreciated these recipes. And she has it divided up into many sections. So there's snacks, there's salads, there's noodles, curries, rice, tofu, flour and eggs, legumes, sides, condiments, and sweets. So I haven't done too much in the flour and egg section, as you might expect, but most of the other ones are pretty good. And the noodles I haven't gotten into too much. I need to go back and look through the ones that do have the rice noodles and, and work on those. But so the actual recipes, so many good things. It's really hard to, to know where to start. I think my favorite one is the white miso ramen with tofu and asparagus. There's a lot of asparagus in my recipes that I picked because- Tis the season. Exactly. So I did use gluten-free, I think spaghetti noodles because ramen is generally not. But other than that, it was pretty straightforward. You reconstitute dried shiitakes and then you blend those with onion and garlic and miso and tahini and some soy sauce. And then you cook that paste that it makes and then you add like a quart of soy milk. So it is this super flavorful white broth. And then you add the tofu and the asparagus. I ended up baking my tofu because I, I still haven't gotten really good at pan frying it. And then there's uh, you serve it with edamame as well. It's such a different this flavor. Sounds delicious. It was so good. And she Plus, said- I love me so- Yeah. So the flavor is- different from anything I've had. And she actually, I think she had it at a restaurant in London and it was different from anything she had had. So that was why she wanted to, to create it. And we had leftovers. I was so happy. That was my lunch for a couple of days. It was, it was beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. I did a potato and charred curry the other night. That was one of the more recent ones, which was again, some like different techniques. You um, use kind of new potatoes and slice them in half and then pan fry them. So they get all brown and crispy. And then you add the coconut milk and what else was in there? Peas and obviously the Swiss chard, shredded coconut. So just upping the flavors. That one was really good as well. And, you know, usually I, when I do a curry, I, you know, I might have the potatoes be small, but they're, I don't know, they end up kind of mushy and I just cook them in the broth. So these had a nice, real nice texture to them. I did a Brussels sprouts nasi goreng, which she says is kind of like a fried rice, but it's probably at least half shredded Brussels sprouts. It's mixed with tomato paste and an agave and soy sauce mixture. So it's got that kind of spicy, sweet umami thing going. And the Brussels sprouts were great. So much flavor in that. That was really fun. I made sweet potato cakes that had corn in them that were really good. And that was served. It was supposed to be a kimchi mayo, but I didn't have kimchi. So I made a sriracha mayo. So that was a nice contrast with green onions and cilantro in there as well. A leek and kale subju, which also had mushrooms and peas and fennel and cumin seeds in it and turmeric. 
Uh, and she called that kind of an Indian stir fry. That was one of her clean out the fridge ones. So that had all these great vegetables in it that I would not have combined on my own. Um, so it's just really good for getting new ideas. She has, and I haven't gotten to this one yet, but it is on my list, a palau for every season. So there's a spring one with leeks and asparagus and fennel, I think. And I think the winter one has beets in it. So I'm super excited to try those. There's so many things in there. It's a beautiful cookbook. I can't wait to dive in. Obviously, it's great if you are vegan or vegetarian. I think if you're just trying to add more vegetables in there, it'll be good to give you some different ideas and, and combinations. And there are some that are just straightforward. I did asparagus and snap peas with chili breadcrumbs. Um, and I think there were peanuts in there as well. So it just, you know, something different to top your vegetables with, even if you're doing it as a side dish. Yeah. So I really, I'm really happy with it. Many, Great. many more choices. Good. I'm sure you'll be hearing about it in the future. We had to say goodbye to our house guest. We had her, my friend Kelly here for three weeks. I think in like before, after five or six days, both of us would have been like, okay, ready to get back to our normal stuff. But given the quarantine circumstances, it was really nice to have someone here. Plus I've lived with her before. So she's very easy to live with. And it was fun to have a kitchen compatriot when I was making dinner or, or help her when she was making dinner. I mean, that was delightful. Now that she is back in Boston, I am left to my own devices, which means a lot of roasted chicken. But before she left, we did Jamaican beef patties because I am very intrigued by this. Well, she loves Jamaica and she had been in Jamaica a year ago when all of this stuff got started. And we were a little scared that she might not be able to make it back to the U.S. By the skin of her teeth, she did. One of the things that we were doing was making her favorite foods because I think when you live alone, it's easy to pick something up that's sort of ready to go. And you don't, you don't necessarily, well, it's true for anyone, whether you live with four people or solo, you don't really cater to your favorites all the time. So for a few nights, we just made Kelly's favorites. We did lamb, which my husband was really happy about. We did that baked macaroni and cheese with the buffalo chicken that wasn't so buffaloed. And one of her top things was the Jamaican beef patties. So we found a recipe and we had been mixing little cocktails along the way. And one of the things that just kept popping up was allspice. We found an allspice, what's it called? A bitter. And we were using that in like a grapefruit cocktail. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was. It's really tasty. I, I should find that recipe. In fact, I think we might've fudged it a little bit and made it up on our own, but it's, it's so aromatic. The Jamaican beef patties call for allspice also, which I just thought was interesting and different. It's not a spice that I turn to, but I love cloves. So we made these beef patties. She said that you have to do 80, 20 ground beef, which is a little bit less lean than I normally would purchase. We don't really eat a lot of beef anyway, but it made them really flavorful. And they had, I, I can't even remember the recipe. It was mostly spices. 
just tons and tons of spices, very fragrant. And then I used the empanada dough that my go-to empanada dough and was laying out the dough and then she would fill them and close them, you know, before the egg wash. And I wish that I had taken a picture because it was like, I want to tease her about it so desperately because they were very homemade, (laughs) just irregular and squished and so charming but every single one of them got eaten. The boys loved them. They were packed with flavor. So I'm excited to share that recipe for the carnivores among us. We also made another round of that Palms Anna, the really simple potato. We had done it for our St. Patty's Day celebration, which was not really anything to write home about because it's boiled corned beef for days on end, it seems like, but we made the palms Anna in my Dutch oven, just layers and layers of really thinly sliced potatoes with salt and pepper and a little bit of butter and like layer after layer after layer of that. And they, it is just a really humble, beautiful um, potato dish that lets the flavor of potato totally shine. And what it's kind of a new favorite around here. The other cookbook that we pulled off the shelf and cooked from a little bit was The Lost Kitchen by Erin French. I don't know if you've heard about this place. Her story is interesting. And I think that the Magnolia Network has picked up a series of shows or episodes about her. Erin French is a chef in kind of rural Maine, and she has built this in, in the best way possible, cult following, very farm to table, local, locally sourced, pretty simple, but beautiful New England recipes. And because we're New England kids, we, we both uh, love this book. And Kelly had sent it to me as a gift at the beginning of quarantine, I think. So a couple things that we made from there were some seared scallops, which is, um, I mean, gorgeous. I found the most. So good. I know. I love scallops. The ones that we found were huge. They were like, I can't think of a good analogy, like plum sized in circumference. Um, Not tiny at all. Like the ones that you get uh, in coastal Maine, or that's how I remember them at least. And so they took slightly longer for mine to cook up. And I was scared that I might overcook them, but they were just so fabulous. I mean, they're really easy and healthy and they're just expensive. That's the only, that's the only downfall with scallops. And then we made a graham cracker pie recipe from that cookbook, which of course has a graham cracker crust. And then the, the filling is a vanilla, almost vanilla custard. And it really made me think of my dad. I think my dad was, he loved graham crackers and milk. Those, that was his, I mean, he would eat that for breakfast regularly throughout his life, but, but towards the the end, it was kind of the only thing he, he could really manage. And so it was very nostalgic to make this graham cracker pie and think about my dad. And it was definitely one of the favorite things that I've made in a long time. The only trick that I would do differently, and I wrote it down in my copy, 
is that I did run the custard while it was still hot. I ran it through a sieve just to pull out any of those little eggy bits that, that you can't catch, you know, as you're, as you're stirring it or that the whisk doesn't catch. So excellent, good stuff. And that's what's been on the table besides roasted chicken, of course. Sounds pretty good. Nothing wrong with roasted chicken. Nope. I've been dreaming about roasted chicken. I you should have. come over as soon as we're vaccinated. Let's have a roasted chicken party. Yes. Oh, I have a really good one that with, I think I've made it for you guys before with the roasted chicken with sumac. Ooh. Yeah. All the good things. I should I send you that make, recipe. I need to make the roasted chicken with buttermilk that salmon nose rat. Oh does. yes, you do. Yeah. I still haven't done that properly it is yet. Delicious. Yeah. Especially when someone else makes it. <laughs> All right, on the nightstand. So we are now a bookshop.org affiliate. I'm not entirely sure what this means, but if you click through the links on our show notes, it will now take you to the page for the book on bookshop.org. And if you buy the book from there, we will get a small percentage and there's no additional cost to you, is my understanding. The reason we went with them is they get the books from local bookstores local independent bookstores. So we like supporting them, want to keep them in business. So we felt, you know, better about this. There's also a link to our shop. So you can just go through and check out all the books that we have listed. Right now, it's just last episode and this episode. And there's a separate cookbook section. If I'm feeling feisty, I might go through and add some of our back catalog. We've read a lot in the past two and a half years. So I'm not sure how far back I'll go. I might just add things going forward. But I can help with that. Yeah. It's not terribly complicated. It's just. I would seriously. Repetitive. Add several great art books that I love oh, that yeah. I, that I have neglected to speak about on the podcast. Just out of my own. I, I wasn't thinking that other people would want to hear Mom about it. Courtney. I know. Slacking. Yeah. So we can, we can add whatever we want. It's our books bookshop so anyway so those are on there if you're interested um, and that's bookshop.com .org. .org. okay yes correct so that's on there and the links again in the show notes okay so the first one i read was queens of the conquest by allison weir and this is a non-fiction because i like her non-fiction her fiction i'm not such a fan but her non-fiction excellent she is a historian she does a lot of research but she's writes, she's definitely writing for a non-academic audience. So it's an interesting read without being Matilda went out and stood on the ramparts of the castle and looked out across the water. It's a little more straightforward, which is how I like it. So this one was actually an odd read for me. Was, was that extemporaneous? Yes. <laughs> I love it. I'm a professional. Yeah, clearly. Carry on. Apparently. This is sort of part of a series of books about early English queens. So the second one just came out and I saw that it had just come out and thought, huh, I never read the first one. I should read that one. And then by the time I get that one read, the second one will come up in my library queue. So this one, Queens of the Conquest, was available. This looks at the first four or five Anglo-Norman queens. So from the William the Conqueror, 1066 through, but not including Eleanor of Aquitaine, who started her reign in 
1154. I did have to look that up. I don't just generally remember that. They're all named Matilda except for one. So it's a little confusing, um, but it was really interesting and focuses on kind of the development of queenship, the Anglo-Saxons before then, the house, the ruling house didn't really have a history of queenship for various reasons. So the Normans came in and their women had a lot more power depending on who they were. And then we got into the anarchy. So there was the only surviving child of the king was a daughter, which people weren't super excited about. Her cousin kind of stole the throne. There was a whole battle. But so there was all of that. It was really well done. And as I was reading, it, I was like, wow, I feel like I've heard a lot of this, but I've listened to a lot of podcasts as well about this time period. So I figured it was just that. And then I got to the pictures at the end and I recognized every single picture. So I went and checked Goodreads and I had in fact already read this book. <laughs> so I'm not sure what that says. Oh my goodness. Because I was surprised that I hadn't read it. I was like, how did I not read this book already? Very strange. This is hundred percent my wheelhouse, but now I have read it twice. This information is fully cemented in my brain, both that I have read it and what I've read. Yeah, but it was really good. So I enjoyed it the second time. There were parts when I felt like she just kind of didn't analyze the information as much, but it was more when it was related to the kings and not the queens. And this is really focused on the queens. So at the end, she definitely looked at the empress and her, how she is portrayed. Spoiler alert, it's not not well. If you, if you like early English history, this might be something to check out. And the second one, as I said, just came out. She also has a whole biography of Eleanor of Aquitaine, obviously, because she's the best. And she said there was a fourth one, and I forget if that's something she's already written. Queens of the Conquest by Alison Weir. Then I listened to two Louise Penny audiobooks, because when I finish one in Hoopla, it tells me, here's the next one. Would you like to download it? And I say, yes, please. Have we talked about Hoopla? No. So. so it's another it's another app that you link into through your library, like Libby. It doesn't show up on your library account, but you get access to it by putting in your library card. Okay. The cool thing about Hoopla, well, A, they have a lot of movies that you can download. More kind of foreign films, lesser known works, not the latest, greatest hits. But they do also have ebooks and audiobooks. And the thing with them, and I don't know how they do this, is that whatever they have is immediately available. You get 30 downloads per month, but there's no wait list. It's just there. I don't know how they do that. So it's been great. This is where I've been getting my Bridgerton books now because they're all there. And my Louise Pennies are just there waiting for me with no waiting, which is what I found on Libby. So I've been enjoying that. The first one was A Brutal Telling. And that's the fourth book in the series. And then the fifth book, Bury You're Dead, both by Louise Penny. The fourth one takes place, the murder happens in the local bistro. So I was a little bit excited because I thought there would be less food talk because they had to close the bistro because there was, you know, a body there. And it did knock out the food talk for a little bit, but then it came back and they're sitting there having profiteroles and duck pate and it's killing me, killing me, I tell you. But the story was really good. She, yeah, it was surprising. This is the one that I heard where she kind of hits her stride is what I've heard. And I would agree. I did not expect the ending. I was really surprised. So I really, that one was really good. But the fifth one, oh my gosh, she had three different storylines going at the same time. All were super intense and she kept it all going. And I was listening, you know, so I, there was no, 
there was maybe a little pause, but a lot of times, you know, she keeps flipping back and forth. I was still able to keep everything in my head, figure out where we were. So intense. Uh, that one, uh, this is probably definitely my favorite one so far. That says something that you could follow all three threads Yeah. in an audio version that yeah. sometimes that's harder for me. Yeah, no, it, for sure. It's, it's harder for me as well. So I was really impressed by that. Again, some really good food. They went to a Moroccan restaurant. They were in Quebec City. So in Old Town Aww. Quebec for, for the Witcher Carnival. So that part was really fun as well. Yeah, it was super intense book. I think she did a really good job on that one. And then I read A Little Romance, book number five in the Bridgerton, To Sir Philip with Love by Julia Quinn. This is the fifth child, second daughter. Eloise is 28 now, has been writing to her fourth cousin's widow for about a year. Um, She has kind of resigned herself to being a spinster, but it's okay because her best friend Penelope is there with her, except then Penelope marries Eloise's brother and it's kind of a wake up call. So when Philip, Sir Philip writes and says, Hey, I think we might work out well together. Do you want to come visit? And we'll see if maybe we can get married. She says, sure. Shenanigans ensue. It obviously works out. Adorable stuff after they work out their communication issues as it goes with the romance. So that was sweet. (laughs) Definitely a much more relaxed story after the, as I might have mentioned, intensity of Bury Your Dead. But the one I really wanted to talk about. I'm just laughing at you. Okay. You're laughing with me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. So the one I really wanted to talk about, though, is Southland by Nina Revoir. And this is part of, they call it a book club. It's not exactly a book club. It's run by Alta Magazine. They started it last October, I think. They're a magazine of California. And so these are all California-based authors and stories, Mm -hmm. one book a month. And then they have webinar where the author is in conversation with the, the book club guy. So it's really interesting. And they talk about the writing and their process and how they came up with the story and all those good things that you want to hear about. And then you can put questions in the chat, as we all know about now. Uh, so it's been really kind of one of the, the bonuses of quarantine, I guess, you know, is that they do have all these, all these pivots to online content that I would not have otherwise read. So as I said, they've been doing it since October. Um, so I've read, this was the third book I've read, and they've all been fantastic. So the, the Elaine Castillo one that I loved a few weeks ago, that was their January book, I think. So any of those books, I would I would recommend. I haven't read them all. The ones I've read have been great. And the author talks have been really interesting as well. So anyway, so this is Southland by Nina Revoir and was kind of unintentionally very relevant because I read it about two weeks ago. And it focuses on Jackie, who is a law school student in 1994 in LA. And she is of Japanese ancestry. And her grandfather passes away and leaves her some of his papers, but they also find uh, like a shoebox in with his stuff. He's been living with his daughter, Jackie's aunt, and is full of $38,000 in cash and with the name, uh, I forget the kid's name, Curtis something um, on the outside. And her aunt has no idea who this is, but clearly her grandfather wanted this money to go to him. And that's a lot of money. And she finds it really odd. So she asks Jackie to kind of look into it, to go to the old neighborhood, check it out. The old neighborhood is the Crenshaw district, which in 1994 is primarily a black neighborhood. 
at the time when her aunt was growing up, it was a really diverse neighborhood of, I think, mostly Japanese and Black families with some other, but very mixed. And one of the few neighborhoods that were like that. So she goes and has a meeting. I forget how they hook up with him, but they she finds someone who says, yeah, I'd like to meet with you. I, I know who this is and let's talk. Um, so she goes and meets with Jimmy and turns out Curtis was his older cousin who along with three other boys was found murdered in her grandfather's store after the Watts rebellion. Her family has never heard about this happening. So Jimmy and Jackie decide to start looking into it. There is rumor about who was responsible, but nothing ever happened. So they end up meeting all the old neighbors and looking into it. Um, you get occasional chapters of flashbacks to all the other people, her grandfather, her aunt, you know, all of Jimmy's relatives, other people in the neighborhood. So you get this whole picture of what it was like to be Japanese in California in 1942, which was not a good time. And also, you know, what it was like to be Black in the 60s in LA, also not a good time. It was such an interesting story, not a part of California history that we really get taught. I mean, we get the missions, again, not a good, not a good part of California history. But this is stuff that generally just doesn't get talked about. Uh, so it was a really interesting story. And it was interesting because Jackie is not really a likable character and that is kind of on purpose. So she's got a lot of things going on in her own life. So there was, there was just a lot of really interesting threads going on. It was a, you know, kind of a mystery story, but history. So I really, I really liked it. And that is Southland by Nina Revoir. And I think all of the author interviews are available on the magazine's YouTube channel as well if you wanted to go back and see that. So I would recommend that one. And that's all my books. All that knitting, focus knitting did not leave me too much time for reading. Quality though, quality reads. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good. I had a do, did not finish this week. Wow. I know. Did we get to hear what it was? Yeah. And I think it's just, I'm not the right reader for this book or I am not the right reader at this particular moment. Both so this is valid. Yeah. So I think other people, if you like it, it's been compared to the normal people by Sally Rooney, which I also was not a reader for. This book is called exciting times by Nisha Dolan. And I gave it a hundred pages, which I think is, you know, that for me, that's a little over an hour. And I think what was the sticking point for me was that there were lots of labels and lots of talk about who has money and labels being like her Chloe bag and her mm. Ferragamo shoes or whatever. And I think that I definitely understand why those things are in there. But for me, it distracts from the human story and I'm there for the humans. And I would much rather have... When people choose those items, I want to know why. Is it for status? Is it for quality? Is it because of the red soul? Is it, you know, like I need more than just the the name of the item because, because I know how to sew and I, I like the textural feel of that. I want to hear about what a cashmere coat feels like or what the lining feels like or the weight of it. And instead of just the name brand because then 
because I, I just don't think it conveys enough. And there was so much of that that it took me out of the whole story. It takes place in Hong Kong with a 20-something Irish woman who is teaching English in Hong Kong. And her the whole set that she ends up running with, with is a really moneyed set. And I think that's part of the challenge for me. Again, I it's a weird thing to get hung up on, but that's that's where I'm at. Then I jumped to Love Walked In by Marissa De De Los Santos. And I have read, I read something of hers a while ago, but I think that this book. I am a fan of hers. Yeah. I think this book is an older one and precludes whatever it was that I had read. That might be her first big one. Yeah. Cause this is 2005. Yeah. I adored it. I love her writing. She's super. Um, it's not yeah, easy, this, but it's this one it's really was good. what had a great, interesting twist. The main character Cornelia thinks that she's gonna fall in love with this man that she's dating, whose name is Martin, and then Martin's daughter enters the scenario in a really interesting way, and she didn't know Martin had a daughter, and that causes some ripples, if you will. And there is the, the major overarching piece of this is that the mother of the daughter, whose name also escapes me, has some mental health issues, some severe mental health issues. And I, there are some characters who speak to the daughter, Claire, in a really reassuring way that it is like any other health issue, you know, and with proper treatment, you know, we can get your mom back on track. And so I think that that part of it, along with the story arc, there's a lot of great stuff in this novel, which is a romance. I think, I think it can be considered a romance. Yeah, except I don't know that it's as obvious that it's going to work out. Whereas the romance romance, you know, there's no doubt. Like, you know, oh, yeah. you know you, exactly you what the arc is. It's a surprise romance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, think, yeah, she takes on kind of serious issues, but there's a sweetness and a lightness yeah. to it that it's not super heavy and intense, even though they are like mental health issues, important, serious issues. There is a, a little bit of discussion about how handsome Cary Grantish one character is <laughs> and how there's a lot of that. And then there's a lot of, he's the most beautiful man in the world. And there's, there's a lot of talk about appearances, but not in the way that the exciting times one, it's different. I do wish it wasn't so much just describe the people, you know, and then let me allow them to walk around in my own brain and, and be my version of handsome, you know, in a way, I don't know. Uh No, that's fair. But I do recommend it. I thought it was, I thought it was a great, interesting novel. And I really appreciate the surprise romance with the consideration to the mental health side of things. Her characters reappear in the following books. Oh, really? Um, they're, yeah, as minor characters. So you get to check up on them. Yeah, see what Cornelia is doing 10 years later. So it's, Ooh. yeah. Um, okay. I'll so they're all, they're at, you can jump in. It's not, so it's one of those ones where it's not exactly a, 
it is a series, but it could read any of them as a one-off and you're not going to, you can tell that there have been, there's background on all these people, but you don't absolutely have to. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Extra point for that. Yeah. Then I picked up. So last week I had read another Tara Shea, or I had read my first Tara Shea Nesbitt. Oh, right. The one that took place in Puritan Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts, Beheld is what it was called. This week, another one of hers came in from the library because I had enjoyed that Beheld a great deal. And I received The Wives of Los Alamos, which shockingly takes place in 1943, 1945-ish New Mexico. Los Alamos National Laboratory. It's written from the wives perspective. Mm -hmm. And here's what makes this one different. It is written entirely in first person plural. So we, our sons and our husbands who've been given aliases because they have German sounding last names, or they want to keep them covert, or it's everything is written first person plural. Interesting. You know, we wear our, we wear our skirts to town with our high heels, or we wear our sneakers and our, it is a really interesting, very enveloping voice that I thought might, I thought it was just the intro to the book. And I was sort of happy that it carried all the way through because it let you see into every single household. Wow. And you couldn't really tell who was who was who so much. In the end, she did say that she had used a bunch of, like they weren't supposed to keep, these wives were not supposed to keep journals. They weren't allowed to have their cameras with them. Their letters were all censored coming and going. And so they were really cut off and isolated from the world because their husbands and there were some female scientists on site, but they were there were only two of them. And you don't get their perspective. You only get the wives of the scientists and how there, there was like this weird hierarchy. And, and then when the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, they realized what their husbands had been doing. They had no idea what their husbands were, had been working on. Some of us, some of us realized, you know, it was really cool. Wow. Yeah. So very fast read powerful in the end, because you did have all of these collective voices and you felt like you had just read a novel from a chorus of women. It was really cool. Inter- yeah. It's super interesting. And I really recommend it, even though you know, what's going to happen. The journey is part of it. Yeah. That's it for my books this week. I think because I spent a little time with exciting times and now I'm reading something a little heftier, which is also timely Cool. where I land next time. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't think we have anything coming up anytime soon. You know, we are going to have to start talking about though is bingo. Holy catfish. I know. Goodness. Good thing. I'm, I'm thinking about this because it is April now. Craziness. And people, we can put a square in for cooking along with us, maybe with Simply with Julia. Whatever, Simply yeah. Julia. And people can get it from bookshop.org. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I have a couple seaweed books that I'm ordering from them because I'm fascinated with seaweed these days. Excellent. 
maybe I'll take some pictures for you. Yes, please. I'll be down there beaching away in seaweed country. Well, the so Monterey exciting. Bay Aquarium has a live kelp forest. and they do, but they are not open. They're not open and they don't have a kelp cam. <laughs> oh, they don't? <laughs> um, I think they used to. They have a to. lot of cams, or they did. Did they turn right. them off? But it's, I don't know. They had the otter cam for a while, which was one of my favorites. And then they have the jellyfish one, which is, yep. I've seen. <laughs> That's soothing. It is soothing. It's like watching a lava lamp. It's exactly like that for sure. All right. Well, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.